Welcome to the Less Doing Podcast, where you will learn how to start living more by doing less. Let me help you optimize, automate, and outsource your entire life so you can focus on doing the things you love. Now here's your host, Ari Mizell. Hey everyone, it's Ari. So the episode you're about to hear now was recorded live and raw, it is unedited, at our recent Less Doing Los Angeles event. The event included about 50 amazing entrepreneurs, many of whom are in the Less Doing Leaders coaching program. We had world-class speakers and the theme of the event was perfect your process. So we had experts across several different genres and every talk was given as a fireside chat style conversation. So again, they're unedited. They're, these episodes are explicit. We are an explicit podcast, but these were uh, a little more explicit in some cases than others. So fair warning. And if you want to find out more about what we do at a Less Doing Live event, after you listen to this episode, go to lessdoing.com and click on our live events button. Now enjoy the episode. <laughs> okay, so Dr. Douglas Brackman who teaches people how to meditate behind the scope of a rifle, among other things, is a, uh, a, an expert in self-sabotage. It's one of the things that I want to talk about most tonight. But um, give, give uh, just a little bit of background for people on uh, how you got into the work that you do. Wow. Um, by accident, by necessity. So kindred spirits, when I was... 15, 16 years old, um, had always felt different, felt discontent. I discovered the ability to, uh, this was early 80s, mid 80s, discovered the uh, magic of taking liquid ether and mixing it with cocaine. Mm. (laughs) 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 Yeah, within four months, four and a half months, I was in a locked psych ward, completely floridly psychotic. And so I had dropped out of high school, living in a car, uh, pretty much completely destroyed my life, so I thought. Um, but at somewhere towards the end of that, started to have insight into the fact that I wasn't the piece of crap that everyone was looking at. Um, so it, it this awareness started, and then went into went into a luck psych ward. Never heard the word alcoholic. Never heard the word anything about me. I just thought it was crazy. Pretty quickly figured out I wasn't crazy. Then I went to an AA meeting and the rest is, you know, 32 years later, here I am. But I started working in rehabs when I was 19 years old and pretty much had been in the field of addiction since. Um, that has morphed into, obviously I went back to school, wound up getting two PhDs, PhD in uh, organizational psychology, PhD in clinical psychology. My doctoral research was on self-sabotage. And why do some of us completely blow our lives up. Um, the intervening uh, 15 years, amazing time to be a shrink. They did crack the human genome and they got this functional MRI to the point that we can actually see what, how much we really don't know is going on. Um, and so my doctoral research, which I completed my dissertation, was doing it in the mid-90s, late-90s, and pretty much everything we were theorizing about then has been completely turned upside down, literally. Um, 
we thought that this thing was in control of this thing, and it turns out it's not. It's really the unconscious is running your life. So, okay. Yeah. A good place to start. Yeah. Um, and I, I do, I, I want to talk uh, about the self-sabotage, but one, one of the things, and this, this book is excellent, by the way, uh, driven, that really struck me was this concept that, that entrepreneurship is like an evolutionary adaptation, right? Uh, and that we're essentially like a, a catalyst or an irritant to our environment. And if there's nothing to irritate, then we have to irritate ourselves. Got it. So <laughs> the way I pitch it, and it, it, it is an amazing time to be a psychologist. It's just so exciting. But um, yeah, we are different. If you're in this room, there's a really good chance you are wired differently than 90 plus percent of the world. Um, did I get it? The blood flyer. Which means, and so the, the way I am wired, I've always felt this kind of different. You know, I hated school. If I didn't get the big picture of it, I didn't understand why, why the hell do I, am I doing this? Um, it didn't interest me. But if I had an interest that was kind of suited me, I was all in. Um, but I didn't fit in with the people around me. People around me seemed to do school a lot easier. And, that's what this book is based on. And, and the theory I pose in the book, and it's based on really solid research, is about 4,000 years ago, they figured out how to grow food. The agricultural revolution happened. You know, and so about 90% of the population has adapted to a very sedentary, boring, watch shit grow world. Um, <laughs> um, they're farmers, basically. And, looks like you take us, you take the driven or these people that have these constellation of genes, you put them in a functional MRI and basically what's happened is the brain has reversed itself in what part is dominant. And so 90% of the world has frontal lobe dominance and this is the executive function. So they're wired literally for a, for a W-2 job. They're wired for this <laughs> You put your finger in the ground, and then you put the corn in, and then you cover it up, and you water it, and you wait. And then you do it again, and then you wait. And so that assembly line world, it, it just works for them. But those of us gifted or blessed or cursed, whatever the fuck you want to call it, um, with our genetics, we are wired to not do boredom. We, we don't, if there's not enough stimulation in our environment, if there's not enough movement in our environment, our central nervous system start to feel there's eh, something missing. Another set of genetics is that we're always looking for shiny shit on the horizon. There's going to be more woolly mammoths over the next hill. Where farmers had those genetics or had our wiring, they would abandon their crops. But if hunters had that sit on your ass wiring, we'd starve to death. So we are really too different in the more research that I do in this and looking there really are two different types of people. Um, is it actually 10%, 90% or is it? It depends on the population. It was alluded to earlier that we are an adaptive you know, creature. And so it, it, you look at the globe and who, you know, screw England, this place has got to be better. So the United States has more of it. We're traditional agricultural where they haven't moved much. It's much more sedentary. So it, but as I, is it nature versus nurture because of the <laughs> epigenetic research? You can't distinguish them anymore. So the answer is just yes. 
And as I say in my book, it's really irrelevant to me as an individual or to people I work with. You know, is it my genetics or is it my environment? Who cares? This, this, this is the way I am. So then, but there's that, that, that uh, dark side of it, obviously. Like, we can take that too far. So the, yeah, the thing is driven people. I don't know if you, um, we get into a lot of different areas of interest. And, you know, the, the cultural anthropology, the self-psychology, all of these different areas that I kind of put together to make sense of my freaking world. Um, the self-psychology, the dark side of drives, I talk about in my book, is shame. And this shame thing, it's very simply said <laughs> it, if I can smile, um, there's something missing or wrong in my world. If you understand you know, what driven is, we're, we're designed for a scary world. We're designed for a world that no longer exists. And so we are wired for constantly scanning the world, looking for dangerous shit. So we always feel like there's something wrong, missing, that's boredom, I need something. Um, when that gets folded into our identity, into our sense of self, there's something missing or wrong with me. And, you know, I'm talking to my partner here. Um, I've been, I didn't have a website two years ago, two and a half years ago. I've been hiding in my office. Imposter syndrome is a massive issue for driven people because you don't know the real me. You don't know this real flawed, deeper, darker, is there something broken or missing with me? Um, yeah, walking out of my dissertation defense, you know, this thing, you know, told me, haha, they bought it, you know, because I know I could have done better. Um, so that ability to actually, you know, if you look at Anthony Bourdain, you look at the people that are often themselves, it's because they, they never got rid of this feeling. And, you know, then you have 90% of the farmers looking at us like we're, you know, we're, we're fucking broken. We don't fit in. We are wired different. Call us ADD, ADHD, all of those labels are them trying to understand what we are. And if you believe that label and you have this <laughs> internal sense of shame attached to it, that we don't belong, don't fit in, yeah, and then we're drawn into these, mentioned earlier, just a lonely world. And then we achieve everything, and so you, you have all the bitch and shit on the outside, but your inner world is just a shit show. And the other populations that you've seen this in is like Navy SEALs, or, or where, where else do we see this? Um, pro athletes is it, so what I do and who I work with um, fell into a niche self sabotage who sabotages the shit out of their lives and you know, maybe SEALs has been later but and why do we self sabotage um, pro athletes are just famous for it golfers are, is one of the best people that I can really do magic with I mean I can take three or four strokes off your game but you see it immediately you know guys who win one PGA what happens they'll never win again why is that you know what is going on here and that's really my, been my passion for the last 15 20 years um, why you know why do lottery winners within three to five years after they win the lottery why is their world just completely destroyed and I work with entrepreneurs that you know you can make a shit ton of money off the internet fast and the central nervous system can't handle it. And so that sense of why does, you know, why does January suck at the gym? Everybody's, you know, explain it if you guys want, but this, this thing that thinks it's in control of this, you know, is beating us into going to the gym. Then what happens in February? This thing starts to have resistance to doing it. 
and it hits this thing, and we make a narrative as to why it's okay not to go. And the two different operating systems, very simply, this one up here, which is an amazing creative time machine, can imagine unbelievable worlds. I mean, cell phone, this world that we created is crazy for this animal. But this thing down here does not want safety, does not want better. What it wants is the familiar. And so we get to a point, it's bandwidth, we get to a point where um, we get uncomfortably successful. And then all of a sudden we, you know, credit card bills start to go up, we you know, come up with the next great idea and we launch all our money at that and it takes a shit. And then we get to the point where we're broke or fat or whatever, and then we start to beat ourselves into this other. But it's this thing that's actually in control of us. So it's, I mean, it sounds very dangerous then to be, you know, that 10% obviously. So how- And that, that, that I love being driven and I used to, so I have two PhDs, the other one's in business psychology, industrial organizational psychology, and was doing a bunch of corporate kind of crap. You couldn't pay me to go into a big corporation anymore. Um, it just, the, the, the way farmers are, where they're looking for extreme structure and predictability, um, I just don't get, it. just doesn't make sense to me. I can work with them, working with Jeff, we will talk about him in a minute, but, <laughs> um, yeah, the ability for, for driven people or hunters to work with the sheep of the world, to work with the farmers, is the shepherding. And so learning, and I do a lot of that now, is learning how to talk to your farmers and your company. They don't have the big picture in mind. They're not wired that way, we do. And so that ability to actually go, whoa, they're different. They need structure and routine. They need predictability. Rapid change scares the shit out of them and getting my entrepreneurial leaders to stop changing shit. Um, and if you do, do it in a planned way. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I don't know how many of you guys own companies, but you, when you leave, usually the company runs a hell of a lot better because they're farmers. <laughs> they, know how to, they know how to keep you know, the crops growing. So basically, you know, I teach people how to organize a process, teach them how to let their farm run itself, don't change the whole 640 acres. Take a couple of acres and go fuck with it over here. And if it works, maybe institute the change. Um, and so it, it's a very simple model of um, so, so a too close to home. No. Who does that? We're done. We're done. Right. That's not working. Let's go. Great talk. No, I mean, I mean the, the psychology of this, and I'm a psychologist, and farmer psychologists are the worst, and it just fucking make me insane. But um, we don't like, as a human species, we hate the reality that we're not in control of our lives. We just, it freaks us out. Um, but as drivens, we have to figure it out because otherwise, you know, this impulsive thing will take us to addictions or take us to hell. And, you know, if we're not blown up in addictions, we own 80% of the shit in the world. So it's, you know, but even that, it doesn't work. Got a question. So, um, you know, I'm driven by like Esther growth and everything else. And I think my unique ability is to handle questions under pressure. Like the more pressure that's put on me, the better yeah. I do, right? Driven. I 
three, I cannot pack for a flight until 3 a.m. If my flight's at 5, I gotta pack at 3 a.m. So if I try to do it the night before like my wife tells me to do, I'll spend two hours doing nothing. But I can do it in 15 minutes at that time. So if that's the way you are, how the heck do you stop yourself? Because like the idea of five or 10 or 15% growth just pours the crap in me because then there's no problems to solve, right? 15% growth. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it just, it scares me. So, you know, it's like, if you get in that rut, I'm scared that, you know, like I'll throw a entrepreneurial grenade into the company because you need that pressure situation. So how do you, how do you deal with that when so what reality checking your central nervous system is, is you know, and I'm a big flow hacker, Chicks and Holly. I mean, I'm really into flow. What is flow? Yeah. Um, we as a species, drivens, we are designed and wired for flow. You know, we are designed and wired to go poke big animals with, with sticks. And you got to be really present to do that you know video games and all the things we get addicted to because it creates that flow state where you know under combat situations buddy, we're talking about cia he's ex-cia waterboard if you want um but that we thrive in that world because it hacks this thing called neuropeptide y and so the neuropeptide in our in our brain that you know pro golfers are, are masters at it you know, a five foot putt that's worth 10 million bucks, that's a hard putt. Or is it? It's no different than any other putt. But that, that intense environment that we thrive in is bullshit, it's a lie. We think we need that. But there's truth in it. But do I really need that to have it? And so what you know, we've done, um, the answer is no. And you know, the ability to create this logical understanding or logical awareness first is what I call it, that we're all a bunch of animals. We have two operating systems. And it seems like when this one and this one are really working together, or there's no difference between them, they're both kind of in the zone, you know, it's wonderful, it's magical. And so you can hack that and you can create flow states like that but it's not the external conditions that do it. It's an internal state of awareness. And then um, I, in, I accidentally kind of came up with this idea. I'm a long time uh, competitive shooter, long distance shooter. And it's like, there's the flow state. You know, trying to hit a hunk of steel 1200 yards or something else. Um, you have to be very present. And it really demonstrated very clearly how these two different operating systems, when they're not working together, you will miss every time. And the model I use, so very simply, this thing down below our nose is a recording device. And what it's recording is trauma. Another area of a trauma healer, the craniosacral and somatic experience, whatever. But this Trauma, when you touch a hot stove, every single cell along this nerve pathway remembers that experience, hardwired, computer heads in here, this is hardware, literally, the wiring is in there and it remembers it, it hits this spine, and when it hits the original mind, it sends back an impulse to contract the muscles. So all of these previous experiences are stored in the body. Hardware, this sucker, this gets everybody in my world. 
This is then the limit cluster, the mammalian limit cluster, is the software. So this thing will record square metal box with four burners. And so every time you're walking through the world looking at this you know, pattern recognition machine, when a pattern gets maxed, you feel the ping to the radar in the body. And what everybody's talking about is you know, learning to read people's bodies. It, it, you're learning to read their radars. And all the marketers in the room, you know, how do I invite somebody in or push them out? Is you're speaking to this thing. This is what presses buy it now. This thing doesn't. You have to create a bunch of creative shit to get this out of the way so this will impulsively do it. Um, so that's, thank God, this is a real time operating machine. This thing up here then is a time machine. And we can come out of the present moment in here and think about hot stoves. Everybody think about a hot stove, you can feel that in the body. And when these things are working together, that's flow 99.9% .9 of the time, they're not working together. You're driving a car, you're you know, listening to the radio or whatever, you're thinking about dinner, a car swerves in your lane and all of a sudden you're back. And I'll do this one. The simplest way to understand my dissertation, everybody set their pens down for a second, and just fold your arms. You got your arms folded, now reverse them. And everybody feel that? It feels like this, that doesn't feel right, doesn't feel normal. And it's this thing wants the familiar. So I'm gonna put my arms back the other way. And there's no logical reason it wants that, other than just habit or patterns. And the Buddha, who is just another whack psychologist like me, but um, was, um, talked about how, I use this metaphor in the book, a really old metaphor. He noticed 2,500 years ago that we are very much like an Indian elephant with a whole bunch of monkeys up on top with these sticks trying to control it. And you got one up here in January that beats the shit out of you, a big gorilla with a stick that says, all right, this time you're going to the gym. And it seems as if we have control over the elephant temporarily, but then the elephant starts to have a mind of its own. And you get another set of monkeys and they're throwing shit at each other and trying to control it. And it's a classic Buddha question. This is what Bridget and Jeff, but the classic Buddha question is, which one are you? Are you the monkeys or are you the elephant? Both. Good answer. And? Neither. You're the one observing the monkeys and the elephant. <clears throat> and that, that, that thing called insight or consciousness. <laughs> right. There he is. But that, that ability to hear the monkey mind chatter. And yeah, I love the look on people's faces. Like, this is this priceless because it's like, wait a minute, what the fuck? <laughs> no, no, no. And I, I have a I'm a long time 12 stepper too, and uh, um, same friends. And the uh, um, so I heard a lot, long time someone brought me in, in, in a very irritating manner too. too um, said, who's in charge of which goes on in your head? I had to stop and think about it a little bit because I was making excuses for this and excuses for that. And I thought like, just, I was like running out of excuses and running out of other people to blame things on. Yep. And so when we do that, we blame ourselves. And I'm the piece of shit. I'm just worthless. I'm sabotaging. I'm just, right. The whole thing's bullshit. 
literally it's a fabrication you we're all animals guys we're all monkeys that's what we are we're a unicorn yeah, there you go I'm <laughs> uh, <laughs> <more> Pegasus <laughs> donkey <laughs> unicorn is a bunch of donkeys um, but that ability to harness this insight and then hear the monkey mind chatter and then make small changes and we talked about building processes um, you build a process to actually guide the elephant along the change you know, we're living in a time that particularly for driven, I mean, this is not, we're, we're wired for a completely different world. We're wired for saber and tigers and wooly mammoths and all that kind of shit. And now, you know, these, these were our transportation device for 130,000 years. We're not wired for this, you know, safety thing. Um, so literally I teach meditation and it's not relaxation training, it's the opposite. It's really learning how to develop insight into the sensations in the body, which is called emotional intelligence. You know, this, this thing's lying to us 99.9% .9 of the time. And that ability to actually step out and then meet with curiosity, big buzzword, that curiosity, is my central nervous system actually matching what's happening right now? Um, that's meditation. It's a Zen style of meditation. So, and then you make small changes to the elephant, feeling the resistance, but not coming up with a narrative as to why. If you build a process for that and hold yourself accountable, um, feeling the resistance and making these little changes and keeping them, keep the changes, keep the changes. If you make big changes, you will sabotage some other part of your life. It's interesting hearing that too for me because for, for me personally, the the closest experience to meditation that I have, or at least what I what I think a meditation should be, is boxing, mm. um, and getting punched in the head. Honestly, sometimes like that is the only time for me when I can truly like that's I'm in tune with my breathing and everything, and there's nothing else happening. Yep. And so that 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 but is. But that's reckless. <laughs> but this, this, you know, so I four years ago, three years ago, I started, you know teaching long range shooting and meditation combined. Literally, I got people on meditation cushions, I tap you on the shoulder, you stand up, you follow a very specific process to get into the gun based on the kudo, which is Japanese archery, present archery. But that ability to feel yourself come out of the present and then gently come back to just the process over and over and over. And the gun is the best teaching tool I've ever found because the elephant is scared shitless of the recoil. 300 wind mag, you know, is a big gun and they recoil like a bitch. Um, and so that anticipation of the recoil, I'm not safe. I get another, everybody looks at me like, what the fuck? Um, where is safety? When are you safe? And only when are you safe? Right now. Safety does not exist anywhere else but here. Yeah, everybody looks at me like, wait a minute. Um, it's, that's not philosophy, it's biology. That's reality. 10 seconds from now, meteorite, we're all dead. And so that ability to go, wait a minute, with the observer, and then use the process in a very specific style of breathing, got time in particular, but. Uh, to gently come back and not judge yourself and come back and come back and come back, you start to have this 
mind, monkey and elephant fall away, and they, the split goes, and then you drop into this state of unbelievable purpose. And you don't have to be boxing, you don't have to be, you know, throwing, what you call them, entrepreneurial grenades in your business? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stealing that one. <laughs> so, I'm, I mean, all this sounds very bad. I mean, as it, like, it sounds like we're, we're suffering by this adaptation and by this difference. So is there, there must be some self-reliant, right? Because the drivens are the ones that are so driving. We are the ones who are steering the herd. And where are we steering them? It's been you know, mentioned a couple times, um, amazing time to be a shrimp. Because this, this, this body that we're riding in, the original mind is this thing called the vagal nerve. I'll teach everybody meditation real quick. So the vagal nerve is the worm brain. It goes back pre, I mean, it is the original thing that wound itself through amoebas, through multi-cell organisms, um, determining safety. And when the outer conditions aren't safe, it will constrict the body. And when it's safe, it'll relax the body. The Japanese, super efficient people that they are, figured out that this very specific style of breathing can hack into this, this vagal nerve in our belly and send these wonderful feelings of safety up into the brainstem. Very quickly, you will hit the edge of your bandwidth of safety. So your mind will start thinking, and you'll judge it, and no, I'm not doing it right, but whatever. But that ability to reality check with your eyes open and gently come back and see how much safety you can actually tolerate. And that's meditation while your eyes are open. So everybody can feel this vagal nerve. Normally when we take a breath in, we're using our chest muscles. So the monkey mind can say, breathe, elephant. And you take this big breath. If you do that, normally you're using your chest and your back. Japanese figured out if you relax, everybody relax your shoulders, relax your chest, relax your back muscles as much as you can. Then with the monkey mind, you're going to squeeze right below the belly button. As you squeeze here, you feel it's almost like the breath is coming up. So you hold that tension and then you never push the breath. You just relax the tension and the breath leaves, it, leaves the body on its own. Try again, breathe in. And then let gravity truly take the breath. So you're letting control of the elephant. All the energy heads in here. It's like, whoa, the room gets really still. <laughs> what that is, is that the, the, the vagal nerve in the belly, the dorsal vagal system, is, is our safety machine. Like how safe am I in the world? And most people are overriding, they're, they're running around and freaked out. The cell phones are blasting them. Once that starts to get calm, the ventral vagal, which is the other branch of this, um, starts to kick in. And this is safety, this is social connection. And so, what do you mean? Yeah, good. <laughs> so most people, and farmers in particular, I'm just crazy. I don't know. Driven hunters love to just assume everybody's driven too, and everybody's going to have our back. And we have been burned by more farmers because when shit hits the fan, what do they do? They bail. Um, 
I mean, it's scary. Fuck the farmers. Exactly. <laughs> Actually, <they're laughs> very, very needed. Um, my wife's a farmer. <laughs> so this, this gazelle or, or herding wiring, you know, we're a herding animal. And when what happens when a cheetah runs into a herd of gazelles? It's scattered. And you're on your own. Fuck you. <laughs> and I hope it eats your ass. Because if it eats your ass, I'm safer. Just have to outrun the other gazelles. Yeah. And, you know, this wiring is, you know, dominant more, you know, purpose-driven entrepreneur. This wiring around our heart, and it literally is around our heart, ventral vagal, is wolf pack wiring. And what happens when a bear attacks one of the wolves? What do the, all the rest of the wolves do? And one of the gnarliest situations, hardest heartfelt situations I've had, you know, Navy SEAL guys lose one of their buddies, man. It is just brutal. Because they are such a tight knit wolf pack. They really have each other's backs. But as driven, you know, we assume that farmers are gonna have their back like that. Um, so most of us just give up on people. Um, but once you get into you know this awareness and understanding that we're a bunch of animals and I can actually feel connected and create a wolf pack of driven entrepreneurs, which is really what we do, um, get out of our way because then it's the collective and we all you know how many you know why is it how many gazelles does it take to catch a blade of grass? How many wolves does it take to kill an elk? All, and so that we need each other, and you know, we come into a company, or I don't do big companies anymore, but small teams, seven guys or whatever. Define your elk. Define what are we going to do here, and how are we going to each be in our roles, and what is the process you need to do? And yes, somebody needs to get, you know, somebody wants to be the hero and grab the neck. Somebody else needs to eat the asshole. Um, <laughs> and whoever eats the ass, that's actually the softest part of the elk. I always get the answer. Thanks, Rick. So creating a logical understanding that, you know, this is what's going on with the dog. How do you optimize that? You mentioned seven. Um, I've, read, I've read a lot of research about the optimal team size being five plus or minus two. Yeah. And that's accurate. That is accurate. And why? Our team is five, by the way, so I feel good about that. Um, it's really social connection is most of the theory around it. Like group dynamics was a big part of the, the organizational psych stuff. Um, and social animals, human animals can work in groups of up to about 80 to 120 maximum. Above that, we turn into divisions and you know we turn into herds of gazelles. We can't know each other. The smaller the group, the more you can know. And, you know, it's five plus or minus, it's three plus or minus for women. Um, it's minus two. If it's all women. If it's all women. And it, it, how many men does it take to kill, you know, a gazelle or a, a woolly mammoth? Everybody we can. But if it becomes too big, it's too many things to manage. You know, it's really too many cooks in the kitchen. Too many cooks in the kitchen. How many... How many women does it take to pick the berries off a bush? Maybe a third if she's nice and stays quiet. If she starts talking, we'll kick her out. 
So the biology—it's <laughs> true. Shut up, Linda. <laughs> but that biology, you know, we're just a bunch of animals, and that's really what I do is just create this insight and then work with your elephant and don't believe it. But so if you do have a large, large company, then you just should break it down into teams of that size, or that's the ideal. Yeah, the small group teams, and if you're working with farmers, you can do massive groups as long as it's defined and you tell them exactly what to do. If you ask them to solve problems, don't do that. Either they don't get the big picture like we do, um, like a call center, yeah, or an assembly line. Yeah, assembly line. Assembly lines, you know, put the screw and the. And oh my God, they might need some variants, so they'll change to a different screw in the afternoon. Where if anybody in this room probably did that for two two hours, I mean, we'd be totally insane. We're just not, we're just different. So, and that that Jeff. So who Jeff is um, talking about CIA. So I do the being part. I hid in my office for years and years and years and years and years, literally until two years ago. Because I'm really good at getting people to feel safe and get their trauma out of the way, get this you know, fear of success or fear of change out of the way. Um, but holding them accountable and doing was not my forte. So what Jeff is, Jeff designed, um, what do you do for the CIA? It's classic. Do tell. Do tell. <laughs> You can't tell us, but he has to kill us. I spent my last couple of years redesigning a lot of the training programs for special missions units. So these are guys, anywhere from simple very small teams, and looking at human behavior patterns and reducing the signature and connecting and just doing a private. What do you mean reducing signature? So, for instance, if I've got a young foreign college kid who's coming out of school and is a hacker and he's working for us and now wanting to penetrate the terrorist organization and end up in a camp in Yemen and wherever else. If I trained him how to protect himself, he picks up the gun and holds it with a straight finger, that's a signature that he's been trained. If he's a college kid hacker, he should never been never touched a gun. So he should fumble around and be nervous and be stupid. So we literally had to redesign how we were training them be effective and protect themselves if necessary, and then look completely stupid and play their role out fully to not be identified as something else. It's like undercover cops when they go into what the phone yeah. bar or something. Totally. The amount of eye contact that they make can, can oh, tell sure. if they are it. So the most brilliant guy I've ever met in designing processes to make you more effective. But if you don't have the insight to feel the sabotage, you can't do what he does. You can't do what he suggests. And so the, the combo of being and doing, and most people are doing, 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 hoping one day they can finally be okay. Um, I, we flip it literally upside down. So you so are- less, So less doing? Way less magic. Yeah. Way less. Funny how that works and it's but your efficiency goes through the roof because you're not doing something to change the way you feel you're doing something that actually has an impact in your world to improve the outer world not the inner world and so that once you get that and you start to apply these things and then he'll design a program in 90 days we work in 90 day cycles as animals of seasons 
Pot Herman's 90 day. It's, we can think about what we want to do by the end of summer because we know that as an animal, two years from now, like, doesn't make sense to us. So then 90 day and you back up 90 days and you make little changes and little adjustments all the way through. By the end of 90 days, literally you're a different person. It's wild. I never ran statistics on my, you know, my ROI and my clients and all this talk. I signed up for Taki's thing six months ago. Um, getting away from my hourly model and what is the actual return on investment of doing what we're doing? It's ridiculous. It's like a joke. I got guys that, you know, 4X, 10X, 12X, because they're no longer overthinking or, you know, just, just fighting themselves. They're just doing it. And doing less, but doing more effectively, you know, having profitable activities and just staying on course, feeling the sabotage, coming back to being and moving forward. And it's coming back to the gun, you know, when you, <laughs> there is no recoil in the present. And you never pull the trigger. You never, so you're just gently accelerating the trigger. And that, that ability to, oh, and <laughs> It's almost impossible to write about or take movies about, or, you know, God forbid, make a Facebook ad about. Um, <laughs> I teach meditation at gunpoint. Um, I mean, Which because, side of the gunpoint? Yeah, exactly. But it, it because it's bubble gum. You know, how do you how do you write about? How do you make a Facebook ad about how bubble gum tastes? You can't. But once you taste it, it's like, oh shit! All right, now I get it. Now, all right. And that starts this neural pathway of mastery. You know, I'm a big mastery guy. What mastery really is is that um, constantly rewiring your biology in a constant state of improvement, and you know, holding oneself accountable to your behaviors, not your fucking feelings, your behaviors. Who gives a shit how you felt about the day? What'd you get done today? Do, 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 do. That's a good day. And you know, depending on your diet, exercise, and sleep, sleep most important, you're gonna feel all kinds of different about that what you got done. But who gives a shit? I got it done. And then eventually your central nervous system will catch up. So I'm trying to make sure I'm understanding it correctly. Is so flow state using your, your terms and stuff is if I feel that that tension, achieving flow state is that balance of recognizing and releasing that vagal nerve reaction and releasing that to be able to move forward. Is that so? The classic, and I'm a, a big visual person, so I draw. Um, so we're on the wall. <laughs> Give me a big sharpie. So you got one one here is performance. You have high performance and low performance, and then you have anxiety going up this way. No anxiety, no performance. But as it starts to go up, your performance will go up, and that's your ideal curve. This is U stress curve, classic. You know all the research around U stress. Then you have this optimal arousal state. And then what happens as you start to get more and more stressed, you're, you will actually go into a frozen state where you stop performing. And that's the ideal curve if you're in reality. 
And so, <laughs> like, wait are, a minute. Are those the boots and the, the flow book of the anxiety and arousal? Yeah, the they, but chicks in the holly who I met, and but weird dude. Um, <laughs> weird. But that we're not in reality. So am I feeling more anxious than I need to or less anxious than I need to? And so, you know, procrastination, why do we procrastinate? Is because we're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and then we have that oh shit moment which drives our anxiety through the roof when we have this very narrow, nice little flow state for a minute, and then we crash. But that's because we you know, put off our taxes so long that it's like, oh shit. But it, it, if you back it up, how anxious should I be versus not should I be about what's happening? You know, it, it, how do you even answer that? But you can generate in the environment situations where, you know, through time, I'm going to return 10 emails in the next 15 minutes. Oh shit, all right. And kind of snap too, but that's, you know, I only got seven done and I'm all freaked out and I did it. Well, let's try five. So you can start to manipulate this flow state to where how anxious should I be about what I'm doing right now? And the problem with drivens is we get this multi-thinking brain and you know, we're never in the present. We're anxious about the whole life all at once. So that, how anxious should I be about just this one email? And your efficiency is it goes psycho. It's ridiculous how much shit you get done. So I work with elite athletes and high performers. So primarily in the fighting football, like NFL combine and Olympic space. So we kind of get them out of the momentum structure of team sports when we work with them because their interviews to get into that opportunity is more driven off of like being able to flip it on and off. They don't have that ability to generate momentum in a warm up. They have to go to a Olympic event, 40 yard dash, perfect job, turn it on, turn it off. If that anxiety is that like artificial piece of time over activity of the brain, right. they get too much. So when we train it, it's like an accordion where it opens up and then our goal is to get it to where we can just snap it on, right? How do I do that faster on a processing standpoint? Because I, I mean, we do it by creating chaos, getting it to the point where we do it. And so, yeah, what I present in the book, so stabilization, organization, and then manifestation. So stabilization of the central nervous system. Very few people that I've ever began working with know what low, low is. They have no clue what that is. You know, meaning no performance, no anxiety. They don't know how to feel safe. And so once you start there and you stretch your bandwidth this way towards that safety and safety and safety, it gives them a greater ramp. Most importantly, more awareness how you can actually turn it on. And if you're driven, everybody's got this, you know, where it's like, oh, and you lean into that focal point, you can feel your, and you, you can create it just by awareness. And that's really what I do with the, you know, when you're walking into a business meeting, how much, how anxiety, how, you know, and how much should I be here versus how relaxed or how safe should I be. And stabilization is by that breathing of creating the safety. So I start everybody, and it's mind fucking, I smile about it. Um, I start everybody at a one minute meditation practice in the morning. And I have MD, PhD, some of the most brilliant scientists, people in the world doing 20 minutes of this to do their one minute. 
they cannot figure out why they can't do it. And that, do they that's, have to figure it out, though? You can't. That's it. It's, there's nothing to figure out. And this is the key takeaway of what you start to experience, is that there is no resistance in the present moment. Zero. I don't want to feel what's going to happen. And so if you start to feel that more and more presence that when you do this breathing, then your resistance goes away and you can do anything you want. And we go, oh, wait a minute, holy shit. And then you got somebody figuring out what you need to do and it's, it's game off. It really is a different way, but you gotta, and the more present you become, the more you can do. Right, manipulate it and turn it on and off. Yeah, but and you it's, can it's, it's the environments to get that where you need Yeah, like that's what I'm super curious about. Like you have to create and also false positive. Yeah, yeah. So we artificially create those yeah. stimulus yeah. in order to um, create a staged environment. Yeah. It's strategic. Totally. But also irresponsible if we do it wrong. Yeah, that's what we did. Right? Yeah. But yeah. at the same time, like we do it, there's you know, biochemical, the structural, so we have to do it but in a the, lot of different ways. But that internal awareness, this observer, and that ability to actually create, so stabilize and then you organize your internal world and you organize the external world. And then, and then you can start to actually visualize in an accurate way, what would it be like to win the lottery? Oh, that'd be great. And wait a minute, would it? Who, what, what brother, what sister is gonna call you first? You got money? And you're like, fuck. And so you're able then to come back and get a much more accurate read about what it's going to be like to win a, you know, to win another golf tournament. How do you bring them back down? Breathing. And reality checking, eyes open, just gently coming back. It, it's, but it's not relaxation. Most of these apps that, you know, talk shit about headspace or whatever they're designed by farmers to make them feel good <laughs> transcendental meditation <laughs> yeah. yeah transcendental meditation where you get you know you train a mantra up in your elephant you know one of the monkeys is up there hunting real nice and beautiful and it you know blows rainbows up the elephant's ass um but it doesn't do anything as far as your performance or your behavior or you know how do you apply that you know your wife's bitching at you and hang on let me turn on my app it's like you know, where you can. <laughs> it, it, it. Let's say your wife is bitching at you. What would what do? How would you? Man, I, I, can I <laughs> this man, I have a client that calls me the chick whisperer. He has horse whisperer, chick whisperer. So what have I done? Yeah, listen to What if your wife's bitching though because you're an asshole? Man, I'm telling you, this is not. He is an asshole. Let me. Today. So my wife, unlike Doug's, is super driven, like radically off the charts driven. And you know that causes chaos because we're both driven and we're both really if we're not stable, you know, we're on the charts on things. So here no just this last week we got an argument, right? Something stupid. I was a freaking you know stupid bulldog who did something stupid. Here was the cool thing. In this process, stepping back into body, stepping back into sensation, I'm actually able now to quickly reality check. Be with her and experience her emotion or frustration or sadness or disappointment, whatever it is, and not make that mean something about myself. By the way, previously I would be a shitbag and a disappointment and a loser and all these other garbage that would rattle through my brain. 
and then I'm no longer with her, I'm in my own head and the fight continues. It, got, it has gotten to the point just this last week, she triggered on something, I did something, whatever. She started to kind of, what I would say, launch at me, and I started laughing. And I wasn't laughing at her, I actually got her world so clearly and was able to kind of reflect back and see myself that I had to laugh at myself. I'm like, Jeff, you're a dumbass. And it, she immediately started laughing. She's like, why do you do stuff like that? No, no, no. I'm using freaking Labrador, right? And so it, it, it just, it's, it, but it's the ability to stabilize like Doug talks about. Step into this here and be okay with that, right? None of this shit. This, going to your athletes, boundaries are internal. Boundaries are not external. Boundaries are inside. You know, and what is power? You know, so hockey, brilliant. Simon Bowen, I don't know if you know his modeling stuff. Fucking genius. Um, so what I teach is clarity, confidence, and power. And what is clarity? Clarity is what he's talking about. The ability to discern, is this my shit or her shit? Is this my radar pinging or is that her radar pinging? And if I can stabilize in that... I start to get clarity around that. <laughs> women are, you know, Torah study, but um, women are put on this planet to help men realize how good we actually are. Because she's bitching at me and giving me the list of shit I did wrong, and I know that, you know what, I, the last thing I want to do is hurt you and make you feel bad. That is not what I'm trying to do here. And so that, somebody mentioned embodied intention, and so that, Power. What is power? Power simply means that when she gives me that look on my on her face, I'm not letting my central nervous system guide my behavior. Her facial expressions don't have power over my behavior anymore. So I'm able to take that breath and hold my power. And influence, you know, that this how do you fuck with somebody's central nervous system so they give their power up to you to make them feel good, make them feel what they need, whatever. And I, manip I manipulate, that's all I do all day long is manipulate people. You know, and learning to speak elephant and read elephant and, and this is what's really in charge. So, you know, the boundaries. Yeah, with the, uh, with the last, kind of last question. Piggybacking on what you were talking about, the, uh, the mantra-based meditation. I've been doing Vedic meditation for many years and all kinds of things. You did metapractice. I mean, I've done them all. To me, my subjective experience is that the more committed I've been to that practice and the longer I do it, the more separation I get between the thoughts and the feelings, the monkey and the elephant, and what Jeff just described with that gap between my witness self, my true self, and the behavior and those impulses and instinct have been dramatically enhanced from that practice. I don't feel like I'm using it as escapism or like, oh, I'm just zoning out. It's like, that's my ultimate presence. And then I'm finding I'm able to take that out into the world in this moment right now, for example, and actually How do you deal with anger? Do you like anger? What's that? How do you deal with anger? I don't tend to get true anger. I tend to get minor irritations that are temporary. But in terms of like long-term resentment and ugh, like real anger, I think the impulse is recognized before it actually has a chance to manifest into like... Now, anger, so emotional intelligence is the difference between 
um, frustration, anger, rage, these different states. Yeah. Anger is the most wonderful feeling there is. It's a, it's a call for boundary. Stop. And that ability to actually own your anger is what I see a lot of, you know, for data, you know, where there's these unacceptable states where anger is great. I keep a lot of shitty people out of my world because I'm angry at them. I don't put them on it or grab it or do anything with it, but I recognize it for what it is. For frustration to block goal, I mean, it, it's, it's not good or bad, but I've done, you know, I did two hours of Theravada type meditation forever. Um, and there's benefits to all of them. It's just for the practical application to really become super efficient and, you know, kind of where I've been landing. And all those other, I mean, there's, there's thousands of types of meditation. I did Aikido for years, I did Tai Chi, Qigong, you name it, I've done it. It's, there's your, benefits to it all. Your current one is uh, eyes open. Is there any particular environment? Does it need to be quiet? And how do you need to be situated in your body? Can you lean back or is there a posture involved? Um, yes. So, so 15 years ago, I got, I got into trauma healing. You know, how trauma is held in the body and how we actually get rid of it. And so I mentioned this earlier to you. What happens when you, bad dog. Bad, bad job. Um, literally, you watch a dog's tail go between its legs, and they crouch like this. What happens if you piss a dog off? They, their tail goes up, and, and so posture is incredibly important to holding your space. I get into some of that in the book, um, but that ability to feel yourself shrink or grow, or stand up. Those are different states, and they send incredible different signals to the world. Um, so the classic teaching, assuming this posture is enlightenment, to where you're just okay and being present. You're not shamed or you're like, posturous. We, 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 um, we got to wrap with this. You can go ask them after. Um, Why do you have to be all hurtful like this already? There is a healthy expression of anger. Dog, that anger? That's you're saying anger. organizing the outside world, right? But so, you can't control that. So let's say there's an external component that you now know where it is, but you don't want. Let's say it's your dad or somebody who's in those 12-step programs or going through certain things, but you know it's there. How do you organize it? You know where it is. You know where it lives. How do you position yourself around Because uh, we're always looking at the addict from that standpoint. We're never looking at it from the people that it affects. It affects both. They're both victims. Now, but, but, the, but this ability to actually, as Jeff was talking about, feel boundaries and then see through, have the clarity to see through what are they actually doing. And this, this who I get into it in my book, this who I am thing is complete horseshit. There is no who. It's what I am. What I am right now is a teacher. And what I'm trying to do is teach. I can always be a better teacher, therefore I'm willing to look at my mistake. What is your dad doing? Well, he's scared, he's hurt, he's defending himself, he's trying to push away. That's what he's doing. Why is he doing that? It has no reflection on me. That's his stuff, not my stuff. But then, you know, this accountability, what is my stuff? 
Well, I, am I pushing him away? Am I coming at him with aggression? What am I adding to, you know, and I'm not a hippie, but the word karma literally means actions. What are my elephant actions that are creating the situation? Nothing happens in isolation. The bitch is, is, is the personal responsibility and accountability to look at your shit. Um, but that, you know, my sister-in-law, I always throw her under the bus, but and she's a bitch. <laughs> Capital B bitch. Um, crazy bitch. Yeah, but, um, she, she, she asked my four, my then daughter who was four, you know, did you, did you really want that haircut? Um, it's just shitty, you know, just trying to, just shitty. And so I very calmly go up and ask her, what are you doing? Nothing. I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm really asking you genuinely, what are you doing? Because I know what I'm doing. I'm trying to protect my daughter. I know what I, I know what I'm doing. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm just really curious about what you're doing. Nothing. Get the fuck out of here. Now she avoids me like, huh. Because I'm not, I'm willing to own my shit and, and see what she's doing. So it, it really is, it just, you become, it's just a totally different way to go through the world. Thank you, Doug. That was. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing podcast. At Less Doing, we help entrepreneurs who have opportunity in excess of what their infrastructure can support to set up systems and processes that empower a team to ultimately make themselves more replaceable. That way, they can optimize, automate, and outsource everything in their businesses in order to be more effective. If you want to find out more about Less Doing, the podcast, the blog, the books, and all of the wonderful programs we offer to help you get from where you are to where you know you want to be, go to lessdoing.com slash podcast and check out our OAO blueprint so you can get started today.